Welcome to The Savvy Founder, the one place for entrepreneurs and business owners, away from the everyday bustle, where we help you find your path to a profitable and bright future. Now here's your host, The Savvy Founder and armchair sociologist himself, Philip Topham. Hello, welcome to The Savvy Founder. I'm your host, Philip Topham. I'm really happy to have Scott Sandland here today. Uh, Scott and I met uh, a while ago when I heard him speak about his company, uh, Cerno. And with that, Scott, welcome. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. That was great to have you. Is is um, you on this wonderful entrepreneurial journey, uh, doing this AI business. AI seems to be like the, the buzzword. And so why don't you give me a, a little bit of background on, on the company first, and then we'll get a little bit of background on, on how you came to develop the company. So what's sure. what? So the, at, at the most simple level, what Cyrano does is pays attention to conversations and surfaces information about the people having the conversations. Um, and we're, we're importantly different from a lot of the other companies because what we're looking at is linguistic strategy as it relates to a person's commitment level and the, the mental states associated with making decisions. So we, we've already been awarded our first patent. We have a couple more pending, but we're really looking at language in a very new way um, compared to other NLP systems that are on the market. Boy, that sounds, that, that sounds fantastic. And we'll get a lot into that, but I just wanted to give a flavor for the audience so they know where we're coming from. And, uh, you know, so advanced AI for language and looking at it differently than the history of natural language processing, which is, you know, figuring out what people are saying. So uh, we'll talk more about that. So how did you get into this entrepreneurial journey? Did you, did you, did you go to school and said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a, you know, entrepreneur. I'm going to build, build an AI company. It didn't even exist no. when we went to school, right? <laughs> no, it did not. Uh, so my background is actually in clinical work, uh, primarily hypnotherapy, but also other things, you know, sort of uh, connected to that. And my job was having uncomfortable conversations that were very important and talking to people about things they didn't necessarily want to talk about, but they wanted to get the results around it. And a lot of times working with people who uh, either a physician or a therapist or a judge was making them see me. So it was really about earning the credibility and earning the right to be honest and really looking at conversations as a strategic exchange. And that was my career. And then I built out uh, a clinical practice that ended up having a mental health clinic where I ended up having a staff working for me and I trained them up and I was doing all that work. And really my goal was helping vulnerable populations, especially at-risk teens and people in the early stages of drug addiction. You know, I'm, I'm thinking 30 years old and under addicts. So I was working with a lot of drug rehab centers, working with at-risk teens in high schools, those kinds of things. And I wanted to scale it and also get on the prevention side rather than the treatment side. And I wanted to see what we could do there. And so that's my background is really on the language side. And my co-founder is a sociologist, neurolinguist, and sales coach. And so the two of us 
are really a language first natural language processing where a lot of the other companies that are that are great at what they're doing come from a machine learning first linguistic second we're one of the ones that is language first machine learning second which we think um is the better order it just sort of makes more sense that you can add uh tech easier than you can add philosophy yeah <clears throat> which is wonderful but but again, that's so the, the, the language first, so which is uh, a little bit not, uh, you know, out of sequence, right? Normally you think yeah. of the tech person doing a tech business, but you had the language business. So what was that spark that said, hey, I'm a non-technical founder. Yeah, I can build a technical company and I can build it in AI. So there's a few things. One is I have a background dabbling in tech. So uh, I am definitely uh, a non-technical founder, but I'm not an inept technical founder. And I think there's a degree there. Um, but it, it was teen suicide. You know, I, I just watched uh, the teen suicide and the, the teen crisis in America that is wildly underreported, like criminally underreported. So to put it in context, Pre-COVID numbers, the second leading cause of death under 24 in America is suicide. And to put that into even more context, uh, again, pre-COVID, every day in U.S. high schools only, so just a four-year window, there were 3,000 suicide attempts a day. So like for years, 3,000 high school kids were trying to kill themselves every single day in America. I watched it double. Um, I watched in certain demographics like junior high school girls, it tripled. Uh, I watched all these numbers go up. And then of course, kids dropping out of school who didn't commit suicide or even attempt it, but dropping out of school because of anxiety and depression, getting over-medicated and just getting their life off track. Uh, and, and I just saw this huge problem where we say, of course, you know, the people under 25 are the future of our country. And the reason why we're working hard uh, is in theory to provide a better world and a better life for them. And they are so discouraged that they're killing themselves on purpose at unprecedented numbers. And the, the talking points around this were, oh, these millennial snowflakes just don't. And you're like, no, it takes a lot of courage to kill yourself. And it, it takes a very strong conviction and belief um, that is obviously not healthy. But yeah, yeah I, I have chills. Yeah, I have yeah. chills listening to you. But so you started the business on a passion, right? It was Absolutely. to just solve this passion and, and take care of it. Very so we're, much a purpose-driven company. Purpose-driven, completely yeah. purpose-driven, which is, you know, there's always this uh, with startups, the the... the you know, what's your purpose, what's your focus, or, or you know, are you out there to make it get rich? And right. certainly the companies that, there are a few companies that start out to get rich and they, they succeed at it, but a lot of them get to the point where they wake up and realize that's not enough to get you out of bed in the morning, right? Totally. And there's nothing wrong with getting rich. Absolutely not. And to be clear, Cyrano wants to get rich. Sure. Uh, we want to make a ton of money. And one of the reasons we want to make a ton of money, one of, uh, one is because we have a fiduciary responsibility to our investors and, our, and ourselves, but also we yeah. want to make so much money that we can give this tool away to people in need. Yeah. We don't want to create a nonprofit and have to have charity dinners, and we don't want to have to have fundraisers and foundations. 
We want to be a company that can just give this tool to the teen crisis hotline, the suicide hotline, the veterans affair hotline. Yeah. We want to be able to just give this thing to them because our profit margins are so good uh, in the commercial endeavors. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So you've, you've, Got a purpose-driven business. You're focusing on it. You you had a little bit of understanding of technology. You then start to put together your your co-founder. Uh, were you and your co-founder were you always buddies, or you did you meet them to start this project? No, we've known each other. Dan is his name. Dan Paris and I've known each other for 16 years. You know, so we've known each other for quite some time. Uh, I actually, you know, he was in charge of. Uh, sales training for the travel agents at AAA when I met him. And then he shifted from that because AAA was getting out of the travel agency business. And, and he shifted to real estate sales training. And so I had known him as a real estate sales trainer for, and you know, co-author and ghost author and editor of books on sales language. And then he came to me, he said, hey, you train people in hypnotherapy. I'd like to learn that. So I taught him hypnotherapy uh, and we did that work. And as we decided to make Cyrano happen, I actually ended up hiring him into my clinic to work one day a week in drug rehab centers, running process groups uh, and teaching addicts how to interview for jobs and how to get jobs and how to get their lives back on track, just so he could really understand first person, the population we're trying to help. And, and he, he did that work, you know, one day a week uh, for you know, over a year, just so he could really have a deep understanding of, of this world. Got it. So when did that, so that, was that the start of the business that when you came on board? So how long, when was that? What year was that? Yeah. So, so that the, the Dan doing the work and me doing the research into AI. So I, I self-taught in AI, took a bunch of online classes. So I was doing that learning while Dan was doing the people learning. And that was in 2016. So five years, right, ago. five years ago, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I want to make sure people understand is, is, is a lot of times these startups, they're these building skills, building capability, building relationships. And it, it looks like, oh my God, uh, you, you know, uh, this sudden growth, this phenomenal overnight, growth, success, over, yeah. overnight success. And, and really you've, you've put in the work to dissolve. So where's the company now in, you know, how did you figure out that product market fit, which is you had a general idea what you wanted to do, you wanted to build it, you had some AI, you had a bunch of capabilities. And then how did that come about? Yeah, it was it was tricky. Um, it, it took a lot of pivots. And, and really the way we looked at it was we built a handful of pilots and unscalable products. And, you know, they, they were paid pilots and, and, and paid work. Um, almost always, a couple of times it wasn't, but it was overwhelmingly paid projects that we weren't trying to have that be what we were going to keep doing. We just wanted to see, you know, if we could get paid to do our own R&D. And so we'd make a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there, keep the lights on um, and really refine the tech and like the core tech, not something that was deployable at scale, but just the core IP, the, the core methodologies that we were using, refining our models, all that was a, a couple year process, like two years, three years. Um, and then once we really had that, uh, I went to our lead investor, um, a, a, guy named, uh, a guy named Ryan, who's the CEO of Entrepreneur Media. So Ryan Shea, I went to him and I said, hey, this is where we are and we're ready to turn this into a scalable product. And he said, 
you need to talk to a guy. So I talked to that guy and that guy said, and that guy's named Kerry Ransom, fantastic guy, by the way. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. And if, if you're talking about Orange County startups, you've heard the name or know. Yeah, the name. I, yeah I know Kerry. I, yeah, no <laughs> doubt you did. Um, and so Kerry said, you absolutely need to go find a guy named Ryan Huff and convince him to come work for you. He just sold his company. He was number one in Salesforce. He sold out of that company. And now he's looking for something interesting to do. And I think you're going to you know, scratch that itch. We went and found Ryan. We actually recruited him to be CEO and to take over my job. Uh, he was the CEO of that company. So we said, hey, come be the CEO here. And we started working together for a few months. And he said, no, I think I need to be the COO and really work on operationalizing and productizing and scaling this thing and have you be still the CEO because you understand how all this works so much better. You stay CEO and I'll be a very hands-on day-to-day ops COO. And that's what we did. And so once he came on board, I really see him coming on board as the date that really shifts us from an R&D-based company to a product-based company. So he came on, spent a couple months working. We built out some tools. We built out some products. We were uh, in procurement with some you know, multinational companies. COVID hit. We had to pivot again, um, which is you know the, just how the world worked for a lot of us. And uh, we just built a Zoom tool. We just said, let's take the APIs we built. Let's take the language models we built. We were doing it for in-person retail. Let's shift that, make it a digital tool. And uh, nine weeks Seven weeks later, we had a tool on Zoom. Nine weeks after that, we had 10,000 users. And then five weeks after that, we were at 20,000 users. And so that was really the beginning of uh, our growth as a company was COVID last year. Yeah, this, that's uh, that's fantastic to hear. A lot of people have had, you know, COVID's been a mixed blessing, right? You know, it, oh my God, we have COVID. Oh my God, we have COVID. And then it forces you to rethink and you come up with something. So now, yeah. what, what's your run rate now? Where are you at uh, with, with Zoom users at this point? So we added, you know, we were adding users two to 5,000 at a time, uh, doing well there. And then we decided to actually put the brakes on it. And so what we did was we created a couple small pilot custom versions of that same tool for different industries um, that are very high touch, high emotion. And so we literally chose therapy and real estate sales. And we built custom versions of that software, um, same input, different output, still on Zoom. We built that out to get feedback from that user base. And then we built out a tool that uh, combined email, calendar, contacts, Zoom, all of that as a, like as a complete suite so that it will read your emails and give you advice. It will listen to your Zoom calls and give you advice. And it's all opt-in, uh, but it's also all automatic. So it does this work uh, securely and you know, in aggregate, and we don't store your data or anything crazy uh, with privacy protections in place. We built this full suite and we actually launched that um, in July. So we've been working on that while we've been doing the pilot and servicing the you know the thirty thousand users on Zoom, the whole idea has been that we just built in response to COVID. This is the tool that we think everyone's going to want. Which, like I said, all your communications and it's built to add more communications and add Salesforce and add all those things in HubSpot over time. But let's take all of your contacts, all of your communications, all your meetings, and get a deeper insight and give strategy and advice based on those conversations. So that's fantastic. But let me, let me 
dig into that. So sure. what was the, what was the decision-making because you've got this product that's taking off Yep. and you said, wait, I got to put on the brakes because I want to do something else. So what was the, that, that the conventional wisdom would be, here's this growth over here. Let's just keep going on this growth versus let's dig in and, and build some expertise in these two industries. It's a couple things. One is we built the Zoom tool to be a reference implementation, like the architecture and how we built it. We built it thinking it would get turned on 500 times ever. We had no idea we were going to get 10,000 users in the first month and a half. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, late nights, like plugging holes and fixing things. <laughs> and <in>. Scalability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we genuinely, we just did not think the thing was going to catch on like it did. And so we said, okay, what we need to do is just like, keep this going because this is a good thing. Um, and it's full of good problems. And let's, let's know that we're going to build something that has a, a better stickiness component and that solves uh, the problems more effectively. And so there's just some functionality that the Zoom tool as a lightweight deployment was really great about, but also had some features lacking. So we're building a new version of that. And we're actually working really closely with Zoom on that because Zoom has been a great supporter of ours. Uh, it's been wonderful. Um, so in addition to building out that tool, we really wanted to build it over from the ground up as an API so that it had greater versatility. So rather than just owning a Zoom tool, we have an API and then all our products hit our API and other companies hit our API. So we have a number of companies now that are like white labeling our stuff and incorporating it into uh, their offerings, which is really where we see uh, a big benefit for us moving forward is creating those partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's sort of that technology uh, uh, tech platform play, right? Exactly where, you, yeah. where you end up having the technology talent expertise on the language first approach. Uh, that's great. It's wonderful. And then all the table stakes are provided by those other companies, you know, just the, the user integrations and implementations the sales and marketing, all that, that you need to have to run a successful software business. They'll do that. And we're just right. going to really stay in our lane. And, and that narrow focus that we've chosen, the more we have focused down, which has been a real challenge uh, because our, our tools are words and it works in seven languages. So like we had this huge TAM of like what our total addressable market is and where we wanted to pick. And the, like the focusing in was a, a big project, but the more we focused, the easier this got. Very nice. So as you focused into that market, how was your, uh, I'm going to delve into the, the capital capital raise. Like yeah. how were your partners comfortable with that? Your, your, your investors. funders, investors, you know, they, you know, we read in the, in the magazine sometimes that the growth, 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 we want growth, right? How did you balance out that, that, that approach? I mean, it, it required me communicating individually with these investors. Um, so for a while I was making a video for them every month. So little blurb email and a video of what we're doing, how it's working and the total opportunity. And it's really about getting them to buy into the vision that we see, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the, the metaphor is not original, but it's about giving birth to an elephant, right? We're not giving birth, birth to a mouse, we're giving birth to an elephant. It takes longer because you get a much bigger thing. 
uh, we want to do this right. Um, and that was the decision we made was there's a hype cycle right now. We are going to skip it. We are not going to try to make the most of this hype cycle. And then there's going to be a little bit of a dip. We're going to ride through that dip on purpose and we're going to uh, succeed on the back end of this when we're scaling intelligently. So that was the plan that I, I got them to buy into. Yeah, but it sounds like that, but you were, even from the beginning, giving these regular communications, right? And really making sure they had insight into the business. Yes, and I would say, um, if, if we were to pull my investors today, which are you know friends and family, Um, if you were to pull my investors today, they would say they want more of it, not less. Um, and they want, well, I know what they want because I've asked them and what they want is more frequent, very short updates. And they don't want just the good news. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, just as like my own learning, one of the things that I was doing at the beginning was just giving them the good news, um, because that's fun to tell them, but then when something doesn't happen that was related to that good news because of the realities of the world. Right. I didn't want to tell them, oh, this thing sort of died on the vine while we pursued this. And so then they had this growing list of questions. And so that was just, you know, a, a simple learning experience for me. Yeah. It's, it's that full on setting expectations, right? They're, everybody's investing in you and your team. Right. And that we, we all know there's going to be problems and they want right. to see that you have problems and they want to see that you solve those problems and that builds confidence, right? Yeah. And I wanted to, uh, you know, wrongly, I wanted to tell them, oh, everything's easy. Everything's great. <laughs> you know? and, and what you just said is, is much more useful where they want to hear that you understand the realities of the company you're building and you're doing things wisely to you know, respond to and mitigate risks accordingly. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those. I'm glad you learned that, and it's wonderful because it's one of those things. Even when investors are investing in the business, and this is for the audience, what you you, you heard a priceless um, comment from Scott there, and insights when you're sharing information, really share them the business because they're investing in the business and they're investing in you running the business to solve those problems. And they know there's going to be problems because the world doesn't, it changes, right? Right. Right. And, and like we had initial preliminary success in retail automotive and we had great numbers in retail automotive, but we found the, the landscape wasn't conducive to scaling. Uh, a bunch of individual, like a bunch of different software differentiators, and a bunch of individual decision makers at each location, et cetera, and so forth. So we chose to not go into that until we could go in at a higher level, you know, at, at like a manufacturer level or dealer group level or a CRM level, rather than a single location. I, it was a good decision; it was the right decision, but I didn't articulate that well with these investors. So all of a sudden they're like, well, what happened to retail auto? That, that was your whole thing. And that was, we had such great numbers yeah, there. Yeah. And I didn't explain to them the problems that created the decision. So it was just, you know, again, a lesson learned. Yeah. So that brings up a good question. In, in that process of discovering, you've went, gone through several markets and done a lot of pivots. Mm-hmm. Is there anything now that you've gone through several markets that you would, you would say, hey, this is this general pattern that you found. You mean that 
Did of why it was a, like why it was a good does. market like why it was a good market or why it wasn't a good market yeah so where we don't want to be is in transactional conversations so think of it like a boiler room right we what we don't want to be is just people dialing for dollars um and we don't want to be at cash registers and you know we had people who wanted us in cash registers and we had people who wanted us in boiler rooms and i understand why but uh we chose to not be there because that's not where our best value prop is. So we chose places that are high touch, high lifetime value, uh, high ticket. That's where Cyrano really today uh, shows its value best. Nice. But yeah, it, 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 that's wonderful. So the, the high value, high ticket, no, not the transactional stuff. But in, in figuring out the businesses and, and how they occurred. How did you go about doing that? Was, um, did you have a huge Rolodex when you went into these industries, no. you know, right? No, I had, again, I came from the therapy background and Dan came from the sales training background uh, for real estate agents. So it wasn't like we had a, a Rolodex and, and Ryan, you know, had good relationships uh, in, in B2B SaaS, but not really in this specific space. And so some of it is just convincing people to see a demo and getting product feedback. Some of it is really trying to go to market off a pilot and seeing how they respond to a pilot. And it's the, the long and the short of it is just effort and listening and effort and listening and effort and listening and not being discouraged when you are wrong the first time and just being open to being wrong the first time and the second time, by the way. Yeah. Yes. And so in other words, this is something I, I if the listeners of the show will hear me talk about. And that is that I, I and I'll ask you if you believe this to be right or wrong is the, the number one thing that any startup can do is build their personal relationships and it's free. It takes just time, persistence, energy, picking up the phone, calling, asking for somebody to make an introduction. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't require a huge investor to do that, right? You just, right. it's your persistence, it's your passion. And, and that's one of the things that Cyrano is built to make easier and more effective. So one of the nice things is we've been using Cyrano for a long time. So even though other people haven't played with it, we've been playing with it. So we can see the priorities of a person we're talking to. So I can see the real-time decision-making filters that move the needle for any individual. So I can see this person cares about relationships and, oh, this person is a bottom line. Don't waste his time. Give him the end result. Don't talk to him. This person wants all the details in the world and so on and so forth. And my software tells me that. And I trust my software. And so I interact with people based on how my software tells me to interact with them. And I show my work and I share the reports with them and say, this is how I'm going to interact with you because my software told me to. If you think this is wrong, let me know. And 90 plus percent of the time, they're saying, oh my God, how did it know this about me? That's incredible. And it actually becomes a proof point for us. Right. So that's, that's fantastic that you're able to use your own technology to make those conversations easier for you. That's... We absolutely eat our own dog food for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Are you going to, are you going to do uh, an analysis of this, of this uh, 
this Zoom conversation. That should be interesting. A podcast, a, a co- uh, podcast conversations. Be so the, uh, so the way we do it. Um, I have to be the the user of Cyrano has to be the host in order to analyze the call. But because you're recording this call, you could send me the recording, and then I would be able to do it. Um, just from a data privacy standpoint, the mm-hmm. only way Cyrano will analyze a Zoom call is if the call is being recorded and everyone is notified that they're on the record. Yep. Um, and the only person who gets to make that decision is the host. Yep. Um, so, uh, like I said, data privacy is something that's you know important to us, and ethics is something that's important to us. And so we we built things in ways that you know might limit a little bit of functionality, um, but is in everyone's best interest. So yeah, we could start analyzing podcasts for sure. I'd be, be, be curious. Yeah, um, it, it's it's interesting that that you you're very as I'm listening to you very centered on the ethics around what you're doing and how you're doing in the privacy. And there's a lot of conversation in the media today about the unintended consequences of the internet, uh, the attention marketplace, all these things. Yeah. How, again, with your, as you're navigating forward, how are you navigating a different message than all the other messages that are out there, right? So you're, you're having right. a really chart different course, right? Yeah. Uh, so one, I think it's important to say that in AI, it's a really bad idea to move fast and break things. You know, I, I think entrepreneurship has some degree of needing that, but mm-hmm. I think the unintended consequences in AI are a multiple of other industries. And so you need to be really careful there. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we didn't rush into mental health care. Uh, we wanted to do this uh, in commercial applications in part because it means we could be a little bit more bold with some right. of our strategies. Um, and just ethically, we weren't dealing with a vulnerable population, which is important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're very centered around the idea of, of the ethics on that. But to the other half of that question is, uh, humans like to speak. You know, that's, that's the thing that defines humans is complex speech and effective communication. And anytime, I believe, anytime technology is aligned with communication, we see huge spikes in what's happening in humanity. You know, uh, you know, the printing press being an easy example, the telephone being another, television, the internet. And, you, and that's why you see uh, the Twitters and the TikToks and the, you know, the Facebooks and the Vines, and the Instagrams, and on and on and on. All of these are about transmitting and and sharing and saying and getting the biggest audience possible feels good. And so what I saw was, what if we looked at that same thing, but looked at the other side of it? So what if we built a tool that instead of making it easier to broadcast to 100 people, it made it easier to understand people. And so it, it instead of the speech side, it's the listening side. And, and that's what Cyrano is really, really all about, is about helping everyone to be a more effective listener because that's that's where the money is. Effective communication is about being good at listening first. And the best salespeople in the world are natural listeners. And, and that is misunderstood. Everyone goes, oh, he's a great public speaker. Well, it's probably because he's a great public listener. And, and that's how he or she got good at that. And, uh, and so that's what Cyrano is really trying to do is be on the, on the listening side of this whole thing, which is goes back to the therapy, goes back to the vision. It's about active listening skills. It's about motivational interviewing. It's about 
um, acceptance and commitment therapy and, and all these pieces that are active listening strategies and codifying those into algorithms that can help people. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. It's it, it, my mind is worrying right now because as an armchair sociologist, I read a lot about networks and social networks and network for social prestige and influence and a, a bunch of other things. And where I was listening to what you were saying, if we can teach people to listen on a one-on-one -on -one basis, yeah. then we have a stronger society a stronger community right because you're not right everybody's connected to each other yeah and the more i can understand why you're making the decisions you're making the easier it is for me to respect the decisions you make that are different from mine mm -hmm. so just to oversimplify let's say you love details and i love big picture this is an easy scenario for us to understand and that could be even true i don't know uh but if you and i work together and you're constantly detail-oriented and in the weeds and specific, and I'm big picture, let's make these meetings turn into emails so I don't have to show up. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of tension between us, not because either one of us is right or smarter or better, just our priorities are different. And mm -hmm. if, I don't, if I don't have the EQ to understand that about you, I'm gonna just gonna go, here we go again with another time where Philip, I just, this is the right answer. Why is he dragging us through this process? Why is he dragging us into all these details? I don't want to hear it. But if the system says, look, this is how Philip processes information. This is how he makes sense of things and it works for him. And he does it this way. So when working with him, if you do this, you will be more effective. And it tells me this is how to be effective working with him. And I go, oh, well, that's what I want. And so now the system's telling me how to empathize with you, how to understand you and how to respect your process and your, your priorities, like your real time priorities. It tells me that. And it will also say, well, Philip's not really committed yet. And the way he gets committed is by going through this process. And if you want buy-in from him, do these things. Or I might say, Philip's already way committed to this. So normally you have to go through all this but he's already there. So you get to skip those steps that you would normally have to go through. And so again, it's about uh, appreciating a person and showing up really where they are, uh, not as a, a identity and not as a label that we put on you forever, but as a, this is how he's showing up in literally this interaction and in literally this moment in time, rather than here's his demographics, therefore this is what he likes. Yeah, no, so it's I, ultimate I, respect, really. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, I can well appreciate that. Yeah, and for clarity, I'm I'm the uh, overview kind of person that's sure. conflicted. That I drill down to the details when I need the details. I will right. drill down to the very right, very right, details. Right. So it just depends upon the situation, especially projects and driving driving deadlines, right? And that's the thing is, it really does matter. Uh, like it, it is context dependent. And that's one of the things that's a real selling point of our software is, you know, context matters. I have a five-year-old right. son. I do not talk to my five-year-old son the way I talk to my right. business partners um, or a customer of ours or a person trying to sell me something. Yeah. I talk to those people differently and the software should pay attention to all of those differently. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that all of this has been great. And, and, but one of the things I want to also come back to is, is this, the AI-ness, right? So you self-educated on AI. What, when you started on that journey, what did you think AI was? Mm -hmm. 
And what do you think AI is today now? Okay. So <laughs> the reason I thought I could do this, which was insane in hindsight, was like, okay. Um, as I was doing this, it was right when everyone was just starting to talk about chatbots. Kind of put this in time. Like everyone was talking about chatbots being the future. And I just thought, oh, I'll just build a therapy chatbot. That's an easy thing to do because other people are building chatbots for other stuff. I'll build the therapy one. And I started using software that was bought by Google. It was called API.ai and now it's called Dialogflow. Um, but so I started trying to use API.ai and it wouldn't let me do things that I thought were fundamental to a conversation. And, and I kept kind of you know, running into these walls. And so I would run into a wall and I'd research why, and I'd run into a wall, I'd research why, and uh, you just geeked out. And I ran into this thing that fundamentally the data scientists and the machine learning you know, experts uh, approach conversation differently than people who start at the conversation side. And they want, uh, and a great example of this is a guy named Richard Sozier, who's brilliant, maybe a genius, uh, definitely brilliant. Uh, he runs a lot of the AI uh, courses at Stanford, uh, and he built most of the stuff that Salesforce's AI is built on. So he's a special human being. And he says out loud, the goal for an, an NLP system is to, be, uh, to provide complete, accurate responses. That's it. And complete, accurate responses is absolutely not what effective communication is. Effective communication is about paying attention to your audience and figuring out what matters so you can customize the message for them and to do it as efficiently as possible. And that's not what he was trying to do. And that's why I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And I just kept running into these walls and I said, okay, someone just needs to build a thing that can just do this. And if we can build an AI that just does this, we can plug it into all the other chat systems. Right. And, and this is active, what we were calling deep listening at the time. Um, and it's this idea of active listening, this idea of truly appreciating, this idea of understanding that there's words mean different things depending on the other words that are around it. And in sentiment analysis is like a third grade reading level. Like sentiment analysis is not impressive at all. It's an important foundational thing for us to use, but it's not impressive. And it's not prescriptive. And so I need way more than sentiment analysis to know if I'm doing a good job with a client. And I'd imagine that means everybody else does too. And so I said, that's what I'm gonna build, just that one thing. And if I can just build that one thing, it will be enough to plug into all these opportunities. And so that I saw as a very digestible thing. Um, might have oversimplified. It turns out it's quite a bit harder. Um, and hence we got a patent um, because no one else had tried to do it that way. And it's, you know, pretty tricky math stuff, it turns out. Yeah. Well, congrats on the patent. That's always uh, fun to have your name on uh, the USPTO. It's exciting. Yeah. It, are you going to, are you going to get the, uh, did you get all the email from everybody that wants to sell you the plaque they put I'm, on your, you know, have a plaque. <laughs> I, I'm delayed in this. I hope he doesn't see this, but Dan, uh, my co-founder is the other person named on the patent and I still haven't got him. Uh, it was just his birthday and I was planning on getting him the coffee mug. 
Um, and I haven't gotten it for him yet, but I, I, I fully intend to. <laughs> we have a coffee mug with a patent number on it, right? Yes, yeah, it's, it's the, the first diagram and the abstract on a coffee mug. Okay. Um, well, Dan, so, don't you, if you're listening, don't listen. Don't, yeah, plug, Dan. Plug your ears. <laughs> yeah. So on that, on that epiphany that you had, though, did, did you... You know, we hear sometimes of people, you know, walking on the beach or doing something and it, it just strikes them. So you, you, did did it just strike you as a bolt of lightning or did it, it, it did it take a while to unpack this core essence that you were aiming for? So the problem had been creeping on me, right? Like the the, the mental health side of things had, had really been creeping on me. The teen crisis, the teen suicide, the the getting there too late, all that had been, you know, really bothering me for a long time. And then um, what happened was I was having a conversation with Dan about this and we were talking about the problem side of things. And it sounds awful, but the good news was, fortunately, as awful as that sounds, there was a school shooting that day, which is like an awful sentence, I know. Um, But there was a school shooting on the news and we were at lunch and on the TV, you could see cell phone footage from inside a school that was being shot up by another student. Crazy, crazy. And and we were, you know, everyone in the restaurant was glued to the TV and Dan just said this sentence and he just said, you know, what's crazy. Every time something awful like this happens, kids reach for their phones because they know their phones are more powerful. That was it. And that was in 2016. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, there it is. That was the thing that made me realize, okay, we can do this with phones because kids trust their phones. And if we can do it in the right way and not data mine the kids and not sell to advertisers and not, you know, all the stuff that you need to do right to, to deserve their trust um, and earn their continued trust. If we can do all that right and get the linguistic stuff um, as right as we think we have, then we can do something to help those kids when they aren't ready to talk to a grown up, uh, but they need to not be in the echo chamber of their own head. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I really applaud you for that that focus, that singular focus, because that's that's what makes good companies. That's what attracts people to to companies like yourselves. You become this lighthouse of of attracting others to yourself. So that's wonderful. Yeah, and we've been really fortunate that uh, people believe in that vision. And they don't, they don't understand why we're going through the process we're going. And, and there is reason to start in commercial before you go into social good. There's a lot of really good reasons to do it the way we've chosen. It is a little bit circuitous, um, but uh, ultimately it ends up with a, a better end result for everybody. Um, and so we've been lucky that we've got people to believe in the cause and the, and the vision. And then the game is getting... And, just thinking of this from an investment standpoint, the game is about getting them to believe in the vision and then the team and then the plan. And I think it's in that order. I could be wrong, but I think it's vision, team, plan. And if, if you've got that, then then they're in. And sometimes people question our, our plan, uh, but no one's questioning the first two. Yeah, yeah, the vision, team, plan, yeah, exactly. That's That's where... Uh, you may have heard the phrase, uh, investors have to uh, love the idea, but they have to be madly in love with the executive team 
that's right. going to bring bring the business forward. And right. absolutely, it's all it's, it's we work with people we trust, and that's what they're always looking for. Yeah, because there's going to be so many pivots. Whatever your plan is, is probably going to have to change two or right. three times anyway. Uh, so, you know, if you have the right vision and team, they'll be able to make the necessary adjustments to the plan to hit the vision. So second to last question for you. If you were to think about it today and you were to go be able to go back in time when you were starting, what advice would you give to your younger self that was starting this business? Is there anything that you would have wished you would have known that would have really shortened your journey? Um, yeah, I, I would say that no one's going to give you their data, no matter what. Like this idea of, oh, I just need data to test on. Everyone knows their data is insanely valuable. They don't know what to do with it. It's, it's in many cases, horribly formatted garbage, but they're not going to let you see it. The companies don't know what data is. Even if they have a CIO, they don't really know what their data is, especially small to mid-sized companies uh, that you have access to. They have no idea what their data is. They have no idea how to use it, but they're not going to let you give them that answer. Um, and so coming up with a solution for how do I train my system without a data set um, is, is one piece of advice is no one's going to give you the data. You have to figure out how to generate your own data, which is really what Zoom has done for us. Um, uh, the other thing is really understanding how much goes into once you have the technology that really works getting that product market fit and getting that deployable real product, the number of boxes you have to check, the number of things you have to be able to do right uh, is if you're a non-technical founder like myself, it's, it's an ocean of check marks that are invisible to the rest of us, but you need someone who knows those check marks. I'm so grateful to have Ryan um, having joined the team because he's been there, done that. And the experience and the, and the battle scars and all that that he had from Cirrus Insights um, meant that, you know, we could copy his homework on that side of things, which has been, you know, company trajectory just completely transforming. I like that. I like the ocean of check marks. That's a, a, I'll probably steal that phrase. I think it's great. I'll give you credit for it. It's yours. Take it. <laughs> So the last question is, how does, how does the audience get in touch with you if they if, if, uh, find out more about uh, you and the company? Sure. So if they want to get in the beta of our tool, we're, we've got a beta open right now. And just go to Cyrano.ai and there's a thing right on the homepage that's like a form that they can type in. They'll get in touch with us. And we'll get in touch with you to start playing with the beta. Uh, we've got just under 100 people using the generic version and then 50 therapists and 50 real estate agents using the custom versions of that. So if they're, if you're interested in beta testing, go there. If you just want to uh, get in touch with me, just LinkedIn and my name, Scott Sandland, and you'll find me and I'm, I'm on there a lot. Yeah. So I'll have for everybody listening, I'll have all of that in the show notes. It's been fantastic talking to you, Scott. You've provided people in the audience with some wonderful sage advice. And I appreciate your honesty and sharing your story. The whole goal of the Savvy Founders to help other founders shorten their journey. If they just get one aha moment, then we've done our job. So thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. You bet. Thank you. Yeah. So that's it for uh, the Savvy Founder. 
I'm Philip Topham, wishing you a bright and profitable future in both your personal and business lives. Take care. See you next week. Remember to give the show a five-star review and subscribe wherever podcasts are listed, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and check out our website for tips, thesavvyfounder.com. You can also follow Philip on Clubhouse at The Savvy Founder, wishing you a profitable and bright future. Safe journeys. See you next week.